0: I think today it's going to be more asking questions and less giving answers. Maybe next time we'll get more more answers because I sort of I prepared for today to speak about this last pasuk. And we've touched on a lot of points with this because it's the concluding statement, and it's a lima'an, like this is the purpose, here's the goal, here's the end. So we've already touched on this pasuk many times as we've gone through Baha'i Im Shema. Um, but it was sort of bugging me, and I finally realized that, that there were, I had so many questions, really, if I stopped and just broke the pasuk down, uh, on the big level, Usually, we get the opposite problem, which is you get into all the little details, and then you have to step back and remember what the big picture is. Over here, we've covered this pasak in terms of the big picture several times, at least three off the top of my head. So what was missing was actually going into what each word meant. Like, what's leman? How's leman different from bavor? I'm not going to answer the question. I don't have the answer. Mm-hmm. right? But I realized that's the piece that was missing. <laughs> So maybe for next time, we can try. Because really, each of these words is telling us an idea. And I think that it's only from the pieces that we can understand the big idea in a bigger way. Some big ideas made of the little ideas. Um, so I'll, probably a lot more questions today than answers. Liman, Liman means it's for a purpose. And what we've been talking about has been you should this paragraph is talking about reward and punishment. Here's what happens if you're listening to the Torah and the mitzvot then you have a good life on a good land. And here's what happens when you are turning away from the mitzvos: You end up with not so good of a life and not on the good land. And therefore, or while you are rejected, right? We said it could be one or the other, (coughs) or presumably both. In order to either prevent this from happening or, and, in order to recover from it happening, you should place these mitzvahs before you and tie the words where to fill in, and learn with your children constantly so they learn to speak of Torah all the time and put mezuzahs on your door. Liman, in order. The in order... That's about to be stated, is the joyous circumstance that is hinted to at the beginning of the paragraph that opens, Vehaya im Because Chazal have taught us, Vehaya means something happy is going to happen. Vehaya is a word that introduces a joyous circumstance. And it culminates in, "LeMa'an Yirbu Yemechem, in order that. Your days will be Your Yerbu is a Lashon of bracha. Your days will be blessed, they'll be multiplied, they'll be made more. Vi and the days of your children. Al Ha'adamah upon the land. Asher Nishba Hashem La Avosechem, which Hashem has sworn to your forefathers, La Sayslahem, to give to them. kimei ha like the days of the heavens over the earth. And you can hear in the words, which is why I said I really need more time on the individual words, because this pasuk is a pasuk that, that represents everything about Geula. It's the purpose. It's the goal. It's the end place, and you see the hints of it, and I can point to the hints, but we have to take them really as questions, not answers. So, for example, Yirbu Yameichem, how could days be multiplied? How could days be blessed? Right? Ribui is, is a blessing. It means, it, it's related to the word bracha with the Bays and the resh. It's, uh, Yaakov said to Esav, "Yeshli rov, I have a lot." Rov, right? Esav said, "Yeshli kol, I have everything." The the other way around, sorry. Esav said, "Yeshli rov." Yaakov said, "Yeshli kol." So what's what's a yirbu? Meaning, if a person has a set number of days, how could they be made more? Why is there a focus on the days and the days of the children? That already tells you you're talking about something that's that's. got a kind of nitzchiyos, a kind of eternity. Because even if this door, as the Al-Khut said brings, you know, if this door passes, this generation passes, and a new generation arises. And the new generation arises before the first one passes. So you have a continuity that's being referenced here. Al <laughs> Adama, upon the land, that's already a very deep relationship. That goes back to the time of Adam. The relationship of of people to the land, which Hashem has sworn to your forefathers, meaning this is from the first days of Avraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov, the promises of what the Jewish people will be because of the greatness of the forefathers who were the Merkava, bringing knowledge of the Shekhinah and revelation of the Shekhinah into the world, this is going to be the fulfillment of those promises. al <inaudible> like the days of the heavens over the earth. At the very least, that's talking about all the days of the physical universe. So there's a lot more questions here than answers. And Chazal also, as we'll get to, see many, many indications, right? Because what, what time is this? This is talking about either from either and, right? On many <laughs> levels. So on the level of Moshe speaking to the Jewish people before they go into Eretz Israel. So here's how to make it last longer. You're going into a good situation. This is the first major geulah. This is leaving Mitzrayim and coming into Eretz Israel. the first time the Jewish people will live as a nation in the land with a Beis Mikdash, with the Shechina, with the miracles, keeping the mitzvahs of the Torah, including the mitzvahs that are tulyos Baaretz. And it's also talking about a return to the land in the long run. Okay. So Rashi says leman yerbu in order that they should be made many your days and the days of your children on the land and he quotes the Gemara, which says I'ma si kain, if you do this yerbu they'll multiply lav, lo yerbu meaning incorporated in the idea that if you do this then yirbu is the message that if you don't do it, then it won't. Which is, I suppose, one way of summing up the paragraph of Im Shamoah as Kabbalah Onish, right? That the fact that we accept upon ourselves the idea that there is an ol mitzvos, there is a duty to do mitzvos, and we accept it and we accept it happily. Um, and that there are consequences for doing and not doing the mitzvahs. That sums it up. There's a lot of Horev. Let's see if I can quickly... I actually just saw this. Rav Hirsch has an essay on training through suffering. In other words, how do we how do we approach the idea of yisurim, sorrows? We have su- There's suffering. So what do we get from suffering? Mm-hmm. And he uses as the The core passage, um, a passage which we spent some time on last year when we were in Dvar. It's in Hanan, Where Hashem says, think about how Hashem has led you in the desert for 40 years. He afflicted you to prove you. He caused you to hunger, and he gave you the mun to eat, which you did not know about and your forefathers did not know about. In order that you would know that <coughs> man does not live by the bread, but by the word of God. And your clothing didn't wear out, and your feet didn't swell up. And you should consider that just as a man gives musr to his child, gives direction, moves him in a direction, that's how Hashem is chastening, chasteneth thee, because this is a very old translation. When, when we have struggles and we have bitter times and we have situations in which we are bare or sick or miserable, as is hinted to in Vahaya Im Shemoah, recognizing that we are in fact weak and suffering, rather than trying to ignore that, Mm -hmm. Um, and that we are helpless, and that Hashem is the only one that we can turn to, is the beginning of learning Yira. And at the same time, the suffering of of training teaches us our nothingness, that's the helplessness, it also teaches us our greatness. Because it teaches us, it's a great, they teach you at the same time the imperishable character of your true greatness the greatness which you ignored if your suffering takes away everything you have in life other than your own self then nothing remains to you except your heart and the treasures you find there and at the same time they teach you the lasting character of the greatness which you yourself are It's really another angle on that. He doesn't refer to that Pasuk, but it's pretty clearly the same kind of pattern. That in the suffering, you'll see your weakness and your helplessness. Hashem will be angry. You won't be able to stop the sky from closing. You won't be able to cause the rain to fall. You won't be able to force the land to give out its fruit. And you'll lose the good land. But now you can look into your heart and into your soul and see what is not taken away from you. This is a new, a new way of describing It's your greatness as well. Because that peace which is not taken away from you is what you would ignore if the rest hadn't been stripped away. And this is the purpose of the purpose of all of this is to come back to a situation when we're on the land, and we are yet not ignoring what is truly great and what is truly weak in us. Recognizing Hashem is the source of all. It is the lesson of the mun. That's why he starts with that. That's the prototypical case. Is with the mun, the hunger and then receiving food. But it wasn't what we were looking for. And we couldn't have caused it to come. And it all depends on our, our level of behavior. And I think it's, it's the true meaning of kabbalas o mitzvos, in the same way that we talk about kabbalas yeserim with ahava, with love. I think there's an aspect to which, in saying the haya im shamoah, accepting the burden of mitzvah, the burden, the yoke of mitzvahs with love, and all that that demands, including schar and including onesh. But the love comes from recognizing that just as a person gives musr to their child to send them in the right direction, this is how Hashem directs us, it's to send us in the right direction, And the process of that is a process of seeing simultaneously our nothingness and our greatness, both at once. And that's something that when we do recognize the nothingness and the greatness, should arouse inside of us, both Yira and Ahava together. That's what it's intended to do. Goals, our goal and mission. Yeah, just the paragraph describes a process with the goal kept in mind. A mm-hmm. <coughs> um, so little note, a question was asked of <coughs> Rav Chaim Kanievsky. When the Pasuk says "Ki ha-shamayim al ha'aretz," the k, kime, means it's like, is that referring to what is it in this Pasuk that is like the days of the heavens over the earth? Is it the part of the Pasuk that says, your days will be multiplied and the days of your children? Like, they'll be multiplied. There'll be a lot of days, just like the number of days of the heavens on the earth. Kind of eternal. Or is it referring to La lahem? Hashem saying he'll give the land to the Avos. As the days of the heavens on the earth, which is actually more adjacent. And one, actually the first, is what it seems to be the Ramban's understanding, and the second seems to be the Ramban's understanding. And he said, it's on Yerbu. In other words, your days will be multiplied in the days of your children like the days of the heavens on the earth, which probably is how you heard it. But it's interesting to realize that you could have heard it differently. Mm Rabbeinu Bachye says, Hashem swore to your forefathers to give them the land like the days of the heavens on the earth. He's obviously taking so, the Rambam's approach. <laughs> yeah. Lamedcha, the Torah is teaching you. Lamedcha akasov, Ki Eretz Yisrael nesuna li Yisrael le'olam, That the land of Israel was given to the Jewish people forever. Hashem swore to your forefathers to give them the land in the same way that he placed the heavens over the earth, meaning always, for as long as either one of them exists, they're together. Mm -hmm. If they are exiled from the land, then you know that they are in the future going to return to it. If they're out, it's temporary. No other nation or tongue can settle it or hold on to it, ki imusrul, other than the Jewish people. Rav Schwab says, "Your days will be multiplied in the days of your children." Al haadamah, upon the land. It would actually be more common to say ba in the land, or like where you'd really hear it is ba aretz. Not so much say al aretz. You'd say ba right, in the land, like it within the boundaries of the land al adama is a de- degree of domination. To be upon something means that you're above it and you are ruling over it. So the promise is referring to a time when we are in control of the land, not just in the land, but other people are contesting or asserting control over it. This is promising a much more complete ownership of the land than that. It refers to a time without Shibud Malchios in any form, without any degree of subjugation of other nations. That's talking to a time before there was a Gaulus, meaning the first, the first time from the time of Yahushua. And also, and this is, I don't understand exactly what he's saying, also to whatever point it is in Gaulus when Visamtem kicks in some tem meaning you place these words on your heart and soul once we start a process on our end that leads to a return to the land and longevity there. It sounds to me like he's referring to a gradual process of redemption. What makes it sound gradual? Um, because he's talking about a time where it's still Gullus but leading to Geulah. That, that's a process, right? We say that there are two... The, the Gemara talks about two different ways that the geula may come, in its time and being hastened. So in its time is a process. In a hurry is like taking us out of Mitzrayim. You know, like the shofar blows and you get on the plane or pile into the base HaKnesses and go. Not, not a long process it sounds to me like he's perhaps referring to the process. The process being the process described here, that you place these words on your heart, meaning even from then, once, once you're headed toward the goal, it's already partly the goal. But you don't know that until you have the longevity afterward. So you may not know until afterward where you were up to in the process. Yeah, exactly. And so how back far years. back do you go? You yeah. can go back earlier than that. Yeah, you know, in the yeah. Yeah. late yeah. 14th, early 1500s, they reestablished yeah. the Sanhedrin in yeah. Tsvass, but okay. the Chachem of Yerushalayim weren't so happy about that. So, right. <laughs> yeah, like how far? I don't know, right? It could be we won't really know, or maybe it's all in there. I don't know. But you can't say that now, even even now, you can't say that it's the state of Noshibut Malchios. So... Even during your shua, there was the village it was right. a very short That's true. That's time. a good point. That's a good point. That already from the time of Yeshua, we call that conquering the land, and yet it was a process. It took time, and it wasn't really until the time of Shlomo that right. it was all peaceful, and it didn't last so long. Right. And soon after that, they again, yeah. Okay. The Orheim says, Kasha, it's difficult to understand. Lama lohikti Maimar zehkod, Maimar Why are the psikkim in this order. Why does it say, write them on the mezuzos of your home and your gates in order that your days will be lengthened and the days of your children? That's how it ends up coming out. You could have said it maybe afterward, like, do these mitzvos in order that your days will be lengthened and write the words about this on your doorposts. It doesn't say that. This is more, he says it's kasha. Like, difficult to understand why it would be that way. He said, perhaps... It's in order that we should recognize that there's a that it follows. There's a degree to which it follows, and he quotes Chazal who say Kol Now that that goes into the category of questions we talk about. What's the difference between Aribo yamim, excuse me, and ribu yamim, which I don't yet have answers to. <laughs> length of days versus length of years. Mm-hmm. Um, that one who is careful with the mitzvah of mezuzah, exceedingly careful with the mitzvah of mezuzah, his days and years are lengthened. What does that mean? I don't know. I mean, you can understand what it means in a pshat, but Mm -hmm. we don't find that in general. It's not like the Torah says. The Torah says that there's two mitzvahs that have a arichos yamim associated with them, honoring parents and sending a mother bird away from the chicks or the eggs before you take them. It doesn't say that about mezuzah. And what the is saying is, no, you know, Chazalah kind of telling you, it does sort of say that about mezuzah. Write them on the mezuzahs of your house and your gates. In <laughs> order that, your days and the days of your children will be lengthened. The Torah is kind of telling you that. The Balaturim says also uh, more or less the same thing. Um, the Balaturim ties it more to the idea that by having the mezuzah at the door, that reminder that this home is dedicated to service of Hashem, and that this space is a space that is dedicated to Hashem, prevents destructive forces from coming in. It's, it's not a place for them. There's something a little bit interesting here. If we look at the, that's abracious. If we compare two Aramaic translations of this phrase. There's the Targum Yonassan, which is exceedingly early. My sons were telling me that the translation into Aramaic of Yonasan Ben Uziel was way before the time of the writing of the Mishnah, even. Yeah, I did not realize like, how ancient. Um, so this phrase, which is, in some ways, a difficult phrase. Metaphorically, it sounds nice. but just to understand, like, at the days of the heavens over the earth. So, if you look at Onkelos, Unklus translates this simply. Onkelos says, ki like the days. Kiyome is the Aramaic version of Ki-me. Shemaya, that's Hashamayim. Al, Al-ara. Ha-ara. Right. That's a straightforward translation. The Targum Yonasan, which is not unusual for Targum Yonasan, once in a while, Targum Yonassam will go off and add an entire paragraph to his translation. So not unusual. It's a commentary. It's not only a translation. But he translates these words as kishom yomin dekayim in shamaya al-Ara. Like the count, like the number of days that the heavens last over the earth. That's what it means. When you want to say like the, the days of the heavens over the earth, that's referring to the number of days that the heavens are over the earth. It's very cryptic. Well, it's, it's, I mean, this isn't something that the, the Gemara actually spends quite a bit of time talking about. What does this mean? The number of days or the number of days in distance. How far is the heavens from the earth if you had to travel? 500 days. I didn't just make that number up. Right? How far is it from east to west? And how far from east to west? The same as the distance from heaven and earth. The quality of the days. How long you live in Eretz israel will be the same as the amount of time of the heavens on the earth. What does that mean? Now the Rosh points out, why would you compare? And I have, we have some other notes coming on this, but it's a comparison. The days that will be extended for you and your children on the land, which was sworn to your forefathers, that will be like the days of heaven on earth. Now, we actually already saw something over here about the relationship between the heaven and the earth. That was, If the heavens are closed, then the earth cannot give forth its fruit. And vice versa. As Roshbaum says, Matar min hashamayim shamayim titain esivula. There will be rain from the heavens, and the earth will give forth its fruit. The natural and healthy relationship between heaven and earth is heaven gives out rain, earth produces fruit. Now that's obviously much more than just that you'll have food, because really we stopped questioning being enough food. once it's, this is, we're living in the land in the way that God swore to our forefathers, I don't think we're worrying about what's in the pantry anymore. We assume that that's taken care of. It's that the entire world is now functioning as it's supposed to, with what's being given being given, and what's being received being received and utilized. So the Ksav Sofer says, for example, just as the heaven brings abundance to the earth, the tzaddikim will be a source of bracha to everything on earth. When when your days and the days of your children are like was sworn to the forefathers, this is like the heavens showering rain onto the earth. That through the tzaddikim, the bracha falls upon the earth. Similarly, oh, we're really out of order. Let's just say I can't find it. When you say like the days of the heavens on the earth, You do look back into Boatiius,Ela told us Hasshaaiim, the these are the generations of the heaven and the earth. behi Baram, in their creation. Beyom, on the day, that God created the earth and the heavens, like those days. Now that prosok has, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Generations is wrong. This is the product, this is the outcome produced by the heavens and the earth, Behi Baram, as of their creation. And the word Behi Baram spells Be'Avraham, with Avraham. And the Baal Haturim says, why is it spelled Be'Avraham? avraham? Avraham, Shamayim In the merit of Avraham, the heavens and earth were created. That's not an exaggeration. That's a statement of fact. Hashem created the heavens and the earth because somebody was going to come and look at that heavens and earth and live in that heaven and earth and say, there is a God. We can reveal him by living here and looking at where we live. And he will teach his children. There's another on there. HaShem says uh, he's going to make a covenant with Abraham because not because for the purpose that he will command his children after him to keep the Torah to do Tzadokh and Mishpah this is why this is why we have other places where we see there was a risk what if the Jews didn't accept the Torah there was a risk of heaven and earth being destroyed because this is what we're here for. And this is what, OK. So if we're here for that purpose, to recognize Hashem, to be with to keep the mitzvahs, to accept the Torah, what's heaven and earth created for? It's created as the environment for us to do that. Therefore, in the merit of Avraham, the heavens and earth are created. Because we all started with Avraham. Not just genetically, also genetically. <laughs> We all started with Avraham because this is the beginning of the revelation of Hashem into the world, and the beginning of the acceptance of the Torah, which we're fulfilling and continuing. Kimeha Shamayim Al Ha'aretz, the heavens raining down, and the earth producing out of it. And you're living in the land in the way it was sworn to your forefathers, living there like heaven and earth. Living, uh, sorry, living there like the way that the heavens and earth were created. Those days, the days of tzaddikim in the land, and the tzaddikim are the flow of bracha into the rest of the world. You finally get fulfillment of that. It begins with Abraham and becomes fully flowering and reaches its reaches its fulfillment and uh, realization. In the final return to the land, heaven and earth are also brought in different places. I think in Devarim, especially. God calls upon them as witness to testify. Right? This is the testimony. If you keep these mitzvahs, if you keep this Torah good, and if not, all will be lost. Why? Because heaven and earth has a big stake in this. (laughs) I mean, if it goes wrong, they're done for. And they've been here from the beginning. They've been there all along to, to watch it happen. The, the Talmud teaches, Leman Yirbu Yemechem. And this is classic. This, will, this is not in the Haggadah, but it will make you think of the Haggadah. Leman Yirbu Yemechem. In order that your days will be multiplied. Ba'olam Hazeh. That's referring to this world. Vime Venechem. And the days of your children. Limos Mashiach. That's talking about the days of Mashiach. Reminds you a little bit, right, of Elazar ben Azariah? Okay. He's talking about Kriya Shema and remembering it's Mitzrayim. So I don't know. There's probably a little more to that. All, well, but anyway, we'll just take it at a simple level. The days of your children will be multiplied. That's in the days of the Mashiach. Kimei haShamayim al ha'Aretz, like the days of the heavens over the earth. That's the Olam Haba. That's the fulfillment, right? Asher nishba Hashem laseis which God swore to your forefathers to give them. Lachem It doesn't say, God swore to your forefathers to give the land to you. It says, God swore to your forefathers to give the land to them. Nimzeinu so it comes out that we learn min ha-tor. This pasuk is a direct reference to the revival of the dead, the resurrection of the dead in the Torah. So Gemara does find several places. Some of them are pretty explicit. I had no idea. I was like, wait, there's a pasuk in Daniel that says that those who reside in the dust will rise again? I mean, some of them are actually fairly explicit mm-hmm. references to the resurrection of the dead. But it comes out that because Hashem swore to the forefathers to give them this land, that they should be able to live in it in accordance with the merit they brought to it. <coughs> right? If Avraham is the source of it all, how could he miss out? Mm-hmm. He's promised to live in the land. He's promised to live like this, and he will. Now, this to tell you, this led me to a question that is really bothering me. It's not bothering me, it's um, working on me so much that I, I find it difficult to even think about anything else in this context. Okay, so Ruf Schwab talks about this a bit. He says, Eretz Yisrael was promised not only to the children of the Avos, it was promised to the Avos themselves. Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov will live again in the land of Israel. Now, when the Gemara says that, it is basing this on a Mishnah, which is brought in the Gemara. Kol Now, you know that Mishnah. I, I didn't go look it up in the Gemara. could be there's another Mishnah with similar language. <coughs> I for sure know a Mishnah like that from Avos. Let me just read it, right? Kol le'olam haba. When you read Perki Avos, you start with this. All of Israel has a share in Olam Haba, in the world to come. Okay, now this Mishnah says, all of Israel has a share in Olam Haba. Ve'elu she'elahem chilek le'olam Haba. And then it gives a list of those who are excluded from that promise. Okay, that's not a contradiction. In the baseline, the default setting is everybody has a share in Olam Haba. But a person can remove himself from that. and one of those is Haomer Ein Tchias in Min HaTorah, the one who says Tchias is not something we learn from the Torah. And Rashi explains, Shakofer B'Midrashim, the Darshinan lakaman, LeKhamon Minayin le Amesim Min ha-Torah means a person who denies the explanations of the Medrash and the Gemara that are brought here that ask the question and answer the question, where do we see Triya meisim in the Torah? Now the other the other examples of where it's seen in the Torah are in Nach. This is the case that's brought I, I think there are other ones, it seems to me we've seen this before. But this is the primary one at least in Chumash. Triya meisim in Hatorah. The Torah. but but you heard the way that that the Gemara and the Mishnah said it. Someone who says "ain't chias hamesim" HaTorah, like two, to... he says "afilu yehi mode min Even if a person believes that the dead will live again, ella delo remiza raisa. but he does not believe that it is hinted to in the Written Torah. Koferhu. Is a denier, because that was how the, the Mishnah said it. The person who has no share in Olam Haba is a person who says "Ein Chias Min HaTorah," not "Ein am Not talking about specifically that he's kofer in Chias mm-hmm. It's someone who's kofer in Min ha-tora. and this is what I'm. This is what is sort of troubling around in the back of my mind. Why is that so important? That's a very, very, it's the, because the Gemara is telling us that there's a very important point, and I feel like I'm missing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah? Not, not because I have a, a difficulty with it. My difficulty is I'm missing a point because the Gemara is saying that it is critical. Yeah. This is a critical element of your emuna and bitachon. It's a very extreme you consequence. Go to Rabbi, Rabbi has explanation of that point. Really? I yes. have missed it so far. <laughs> I would love to hear it. I actually pulled out yeah. a few of his books to see if he indicated yeah. Yeah. it in another at topic. At some point, there was an explanation that you don't do the mitzvah for the schach, not speaking about olam Yeah. And people say, see, There isn't. There, there is, you know. And, and then all these breakaway movements started to kind of say certain things. And the Mishnah and the Gemara were actually, this is, you know, the, the 13th principle of faith. It's addressing exactly these breakaway movements that's interesting because if it really started, because that was the first place. That was after Antigna Soho. Yes, yes, I'm, I've yes, heard Rabbi yes. Katz speak on that topic and, and that process, starting with Shimon HaTzadik, and then you have Antigna Soho, and you already have the Greek name, right. and you have, right? So his students were the one He said, right. Don't be like servants who serve their master to, to receive the reward. You'd be the kind of person who serves God, not because of the reward or the punishment, which is interesting if it ties to that, because this paragraph of Shema is about Schar and Onish. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> now <it's> not, <coughs> the goal is not that the purpose should be right. the, Schar and the Onish, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's, it's definitely about I, Schar and Onish, yeah. recognizing that it's so. Yeah. So that would be a, a really interesting thing to find, that that's the source of... Look in of the Thirteen principle. Okay, I don't know if I have it, but I'll look for it. Because this is really... Dis- it's disturbing me that I feel like I'm being told something, in it. but what? what? What were you... Why do I have to believe it's in the Torah that the dead will come to life? What what is the peace that you want me to have by saying that specifically, rather than just saying that I believe that the dead will be resurrected? Ah, Good morning. So Rav Schwab, um, Rav Schwab goes on to explain on that, on that Rashi. It is true that the idea of Tchir is a comforting idea. In other words, a person might like to believe that the dead will come back. I can understand and, and relate to that and say, yes, I've been there. Mm-hmm. Where there's some comfort in thinking that, those who are dead will come back to life, whether me or someone I love. He says it's comforting. But you have to believe that the Torah tells you it will happen, that it's not your own wishful thinking. If a person believes in Tchiyas but doesn't believe the Torah says it will happen, that's a Kfirah. That's a denial. It's not enough to believe that there's Tchiyas Because, and and it sounds like what he's explaining is, he he then goes on to quote Rashi further. If a person uproots their belief in T'chiyas from the fact that the Torah said it, so what possible value is there to that faith? It's not a rooted faith. It's not rooted in anything. What value... This is Rashi again. What value is there to someone saying, yes, I believe in Tzchir Samesh, and I just don't think the Torah says it. Maybe Chazal taught it. Maybe maybe they believe in it from somewhere else, or because they had a dream, and someone they love came to them in a dream. I don't know. Or because it's comforting. It's not absolute. It'll come and go. Because what kind of belief is that? Therefore... How does he know that's so? He says he believes it to be true. That's you know that's the way Americans say they believe in things. Do you believe in Santa Claus? Do you? This was a very popular question when I was a little girl. Right? An American, by the way, if you ask an American is something true and they say I believe it is, it means they're not sure. Yeah, it means there's a great degree of doubt. Which is not what the word belief or emuna means. Emuna means you have confidence and you can trust in it. Mm-hmm. You can bank on it. Mm-hmm. You can take risks because you know, for a fact, that something is so. That's what emuna is. Emuna is that you can live in accordance with that knowledge. But that's the Christian view of. What's the Christian? Oh, that you have to have faith yeah, where there's doubt. Like a leap of faith. Right. A, the, a leap. the leap, a the leap. leap is it called Leap of Schmelzer made a city called Leap of Faith. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. And it's more valuable for the less logic there is behind it. If he believes like that, that's his belief, he's a complete heretic. A person is a denier if his belief is based on who knows? We don't know what it's based on. Not on the Torah. Which brings you around to all kinds of other ideas, which we've seen many times before, right? What is true? That's what the Torah says is true, because the Torah is the source of truth. Torah is the source of reality. Everything unfolds out of the code of Torah, right? That's also Rabbi Katz's example, right? If you if you were to take a little sampling of my DNA and look at it, and if you ha- I'm not sure that anyone could really look at DNA right now and know what color eyes somebody has, but let's say close. Yeah, like we're getting there. You know, if it's not now, so 20 years, whatever it is, you know. I'm not sure, like, that it's it's fully readable at this stage. And look and say, okay, I see code for blue eyes. And then look at me and say, wow, she has blue eyes. Right? It's not, wow, I have blue eyes. I have blue eyes because that's what it says in my DNA. It's not that they correspond. The DNA is the source of the expressed reality that each of my cells, when you get up to eyes, they come out blue fortunately, and not hair or something else, right? The Torah is the source of the reality. And I think one lesson we can take from this, although I still have this feeling that I'm not getting the actual point that the Gemara is trying to tell me, but one lesson here is about what it means to believe. If your belief is based on Torah, that's belief. And then it's 100%. You can lean on it. Because the Torah is what the world is. That's where it comes from. And when a person believes in something but doesn't think it's from the Torah, they just believe it to be true for any other reason, it's worthless. It has no value at all. Because even if it happens to be that it come, that it is corresponding to what will really happen, the person believes that the dead will rise again. And it's true, the dead really will rise again. But the fact that it isn't based in Torah, it's a belief in nothing. It's completely unrooted. You're leaning on a hologram of a wall instead of leaning on a wall. You're climbing into a hologram of a car instead of a car. So it's true that it has a representation of the car, but it can't hold you up because it's not, it isn't itself the reality. It just happens to correspond with the reality. That's, that's the rootedness. That's the rootedness. Yeah. I, I see a different side in the Rashi, saying, and from where does he know that this is so? Therefore, he's a denier. Meaning, it's a denial of Torah to believe anything that isn't Torah. Even if it turns out that the Torah actually said it. Because believing in something which is not an expression of the truth of Torah is kfirah. We can only believe in Torah because only Torah is the root and source of the reality. If we believe something that isn't Torah or that we think isn't Torah, and we believe it just sort of on its own. We are now believing in something which is not Torah. And this is kfira. And it's just as much kfira if the thing you believe in happens to be true. Right. In the yes. same way that if a person did not write the But Torah is the standing word of Hashem. So if it's in your own You're, you're not believing your in fantasy. Hashem. Yeah. You know, it's just it's, it, it has value because it's his words and his reality. This. This he is reality and this is reality. He's yeah. the source of reality, which goes back to what we're talking about with the Yisurim and this whole pattern of Ahhay'im Shemoah. Hashem is the source of everything and when we can see that, that we are nothing and he is the source of everything. And yet what we have to bring to it is the Yurashamayim, how we accept it, how we work with it. There was a wonderful little passage. Little oh, big uh oh. It's upstairs. Upstairs. Let's see if I can remember it. In that same essay on the word Baruch that I keep going back to over and over and over again from Reversion that's brought in the Haggadah, he says, When we say the word Baruch, it does not mean bless me. Why? Because a Jew knows that he has already been blessed. That whatever we have, And whatever we don't have is the blessing which Hashem has given us. Mm -hmm. And what we do with it is we use it to cause Hashem to be blessed in the world. And therefore we say, Baruch Atah, not bless me, may you, Hashem, be blessed. Mm -hmm. We know that what we already have is the blessing. Mm -hmm. It's that idea, what we have and what we don't have, both are the blessing. Okay, the kal Kalvachomer, Bringing again from the Yakut Shimoni. This is actually a Kalvachomer. Masha Just as heaven and earth, which were created solely for the glory of the Jewish people live and persist forever and ever and ever. It's interesting, because, well, why do we exist? That's for the glory of Hashem, right? So the heaven and earth exist as an environment to contain us. But we exist, so to speak, right? V'shochanti b'socham, to create an environment for the covet of Hashem. Kal latzadikim, so kal tzadikim, sheba avuram The world was created on their behalf, so kal they should exist forever and ever, like the heavens and the earth. That's Kimeha Shamaim, al ha'aretz. Okay, so I will. Um, I'll stop here. I still think we have more questions than answers. And I'll be away next week. And we'll continue the week after.